a special welcome to our little theologians. If uh, you would please do me the honor, uh, I would like to see pictures after our worship service of a neck. Yes, a neck. Because we're going to talk about Jesus as the head of the church and the church as his body. And what I'm interested in is that neck between the head and the body. And if you're very scientific as a little theologian, please don't argue with me about the neck actually constituting the body itself uh, rather than that which connects to the body. Uh, you know I don't know very much about science. I'm not going to appreciate that debate. Just draw a picture of a neck that connects a head to a body. That's really what our passage is about uh, this morning. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 through 23 is where we'll look, but first... Let's pray together. Our Father, we ask that you would be with us in the reading of your word, the contemplation, study of your word. Be with me in the preaching of your word. Be with all of us in the hearing of your word as it's preached, that you might receive all glory and honor. In the name of Jesus, amen. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 through 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is God's word. Well, you can already imagine this, but I'm going to state it anyway, that uh, I spend a fair amount of my time in my office talking to uh, folks in the church about how to be humble. I am often calling folks out on their lack of humility. It is amazing how often pride is the root of many of our life's difficulties in the life of the church, but also in our life with others outside of the church. Pride seems to always be manifesting itself. And oftentimes, we simply don't suspect ourselves of that pride. And I, as a pastor, get to have an opportunity of saying to you, you are proud. You are arrogant. You actually are finding yourself far more significant than you ought to. And now go to Philippians 2 verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And I get to use that verse in my calling to remind you that you're considering yourself a little bit more significantly than you ought to. Well, of course, Philippians 2 verse 3 is written to me as well, and I need that reminder. I also consider myself a little bit more significantly than I ought to. But pay special attention, because in this sermon, I actually want to say the opposite of that, although with biblical authority. It is true that sometimes we think ourselves too significantly than we ought to, but there are also times in our Christian walk when we think of ourselves a little too insignificantly than we ought to. Does it strike you as odd? I think that argument can be made from this passage. The church of Jesus Christ needs to think of herself a little bit more significantly than she tends to. Well, I don't mind sharing with you that one commentator says of these last two verses of Ephesians chapter 1 that these are some of the most difficult verses to interpret in the whole letter. So why choose these verses? 
Maybe simply because I'm foolhardy, daring. Well, I may be foolhardy, I'm certainly not daring. But it is true that in a topical sermon series, passages are chosen because they enhance the overall theme of the series. Now, these passages are to be handled expositionally. That is, when we uh, select these passages, we look at them, and we uh, are uh, hoping to uh, exposit these passages in the same way we would exposit a passage if we're preaching through a book of the Bible. But they're chosen to develop a theme, and there's something about our theme that I want us to discern from these two verses, even though they're very difficult. You see, our overall goal has been this. Uh, This pandemic has challenged us with regards to our view of what actually is the church body. I don't know if you remember uh, way back in March, it seems eons ago, where we are grappling with how important is assembling together in the life of the church. That actually has been frustrated during this pandemic. And uh, I thought that it would be helpful if we uh, looked at a variety of passages that would explain to us what is so special, what is so beautiful, in fact, about the church body. And we're going to look at two verses that do that for us this morning. While the entire world is under the rule of Jesus, the church is his special body, and his own fullness is found in her. And we need to hear this loudly. I'm going to say this again, but let's step by step make our way through this passage. And let's begin then in verse 22. Every power is subject to the rule of Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. Verse 22 begins, God has put all things under Jesus's feet. God himself has bestowed power and authority on one single man, Jesus. He alone is in, this in, is in this unique and unquestioned position of authority. And if we look at verse 21, I know it's not in our passage, but it's just above our passage. All things means that all rule and authority and power and dominion is subject to Jesus. Any power at all is subject to Jesus. And again in verse 21, this has always been the case, past, present, and future. All power belongs to Jesus. Paul Paul actually acknowledges that there's a variety of uh, bosses in the world, and not just kingdoms and empires and monarchies that we had to memorize back in school, but there are various authorities that we live under today, local authorities, federal authorities, But in fact, there's spiritual authorities that are uh, all around us, the world of angels that are good, the world of angels that are wicked. All of these powers, now and forever, are not just inferior to Jesus, they're actually subject to him. Now, if we're honest, this shouldn't actually surprise us. The centrality of Jesus is seen all throughout Scripture. I think that we should all admit, if you are not willing to already know that it is a teaching of this church, that Old Testament history is not just a collection of stories that help us understand what to do and what not to do. The story of redemption in the Old Testament is God's progressive revelation of this one man, Jesus. He is and always has been God's priest for his people, the once and for all sacrifice that the entire ceremonial system of the temple points to. 
and he is and always has been God's prophet for his people. The word made flesh that every prophet of the Old Testament searched for and pointed to. And he is and always has been God's king for his people, the very head of his church. And all the kings of Israel, good kings and bad kings, actually point to the perfect kingship of this one man, Jesus. This is what it means for Jesus to have power over all other powers. The Bible teaches this clearly. We might ask, when exactly did God put all things under his feet? There seems to be a chronology in verse 22. Well, even at creation, the Bible tells us, Jesus had power and glory. All things were created through him and for him, and in him all things hold together. And in fact, Jesus, in his uh, prayer of John chapter 17, uh, he acknowledges that he was full of God the Father's glory even before the world existed. And so when Paul here says that he put all things under his feet, he's perhaps not referring simply to chronology, a, a point in time, as if there was a time when Jesus did not have the power to rule, and then there was a time that he did. If Paul seems instead to be pointing us to the qualification of Jesus' power, according to verse 20, the power of Jesus was ascribed to him when God raised him from the dead, seating him at his own right hand. He is a power that was founded upon his resurrection, but certainly a power that predates his resurrection. The resurrection and ascension reveal that his power, while it has always been there, is actually a power that he has earned and a power, therefore, that can never be taken away from him. All things have been put under his feet. What a remarkable statement that is. Well, we might also ask when that that power came to Jesus. uh, We might also ask this. uh, Why don't we see the rule of Jesus right now? I think this is a very practical question. If this verse is true, why is it that I look around and I don't see a great deal of evidence of this great power that Jesus has over all other powers? Well, today, just as there always has been, there are inferior authorities, and they seem to have an awful lot of power with Jesus doing very little. Not only does Jesus seem inferior to the powers of the moment, he seems subjected by the bad rule of others. This is actually made more complicated when we consider passages that describe the rule of Jesus over the universe as having already occurred. Let me give you just one example in Scripture. In Colossians chapter 2, we read this, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. That's Colossians 2.15, and it's written in the past tense. How is it that Jesus can have that power, and yet I still look around and I see, well, I see the rule of inferior powers all over? Well, I'd like to encourage you that that question, while it is uh, very hard to answer, it is a question that is asked by the Bible itself. You'll be happy to know that the Bible addresses this very reality in Hebrews chapter 2. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Isn't that true? We don't see everything in subjection to Jesus right now. You're not the first to notice that. 
And while the sermon is not especially the place to explore this topic, it's important that we understand that it is God's plan that in the present we would suffer for Jesus who seems to the world to be powerless and sometimes seems to us to be powerless. But God's word tells us he has won the victory. But only at a second coming will every rule and every authority and power be utterly destroyed, 1 Corinthians 15. And Paul says that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And so what that means for us is that now we live in an an age where the rule of Jesus is not respected by many. But God's word tells us that he is the ruler that every power is subject to the rule of Jesus. That's very important for us to hear in Scripture before we move on. And we move on to discover that he is the head of his body in addition to being the rule over every other power. Look at verse 22. Paul says that God gave him as head over all things to the church. God gave him as head over all things to the church. Now, this to me sounds a little bit choppy. Maybe it sounds choppy to you as well. But Paul is saying here that Jesus, he is the head of the church. And the image of the head and the uh, image of the church as being a body, well, this comes from Paul alone. He uses this image in Colossians 1 and 2, and he's going to use it again in Ephesians chapter 4. Let me just step backwards just a bit and give us a a little bit of an introduction as to what what Paul might mean when he uses this image of Jesus as the head and the church as his body. There's two things that he means most clearly and obviously, and you know what they are as well, but let me go ahead and call them out. What is this image of Jesus as the head and the church as the body teaching? Well, first is this. I mean, just considering the widely accepted Greek medical literature of the day, when Paul is using this illustration, he's using the illustration of a head to be understood as the body's source of life. Medical manuals of the day uh, would have talked about the head having this kind of connection, as it were, with the body. The head rules and guides the body. The head sustains the body's power. Uh, The head maintains the activity of the body. The head is the body's life-giving and life-directing force. Theologians have called this the organic connection between the head and the body. Leave it to theologians to make what is obvious more difficult, but there you have it. This is one image, and theologians call it the organic nature of the image. And the second is this. Uh, there's not merely an organic uh, uh, aspect to this image. There's an institutional aspect. That this head is institutionally connected to the body. The head is, as John Calvin says, the spiritual government of the body. The head has an authority to actually dictate commands to the hands and the feet. That the hands and the feet actually must comply to the demands of the head. And so there you have a picture of the uh, institutional aspect of this connection. You feel smarter already, organic and institutional. Now, this is, uh, to be sure, what Paul means when he uses uh, this connection. I don't think that the image itself is difficult to piece together, especially if you're willing to consider Colossians. But let me say this. 
This organic and institutional headship of Jesus, while it's clearly taught in Scripture, it doesn't seem to be clearly taught in this Scripture, does it? At least not directly. Paul simply says this, Jesus is head over all things to the church, which is his body. And he says that without further explanation. I find that to be odd, do you? Why do you think this is? We know that it's not just the church that is under the feet of Jesus. We know that it's every authority, every power is under the feet of Jesus. And you know, to be sure, if I can speak by way of application, uh, we take great comfort in this, don't we, that Jesus is the ruler over all other authorities. If we feel unsafe under our authorities, Well, we rightly believe that those who are making us feel unsafe, they themselves will have to answer to Jesus at some point. Take all of the errors practiced by a former regime. Whoever the leader or leaders of that former regime that was bad, we take comfort in the fact that they are going to have to answer to Jesus because he is the ruler of all rulers. And even as we think about the brutality of certain regimes, those rulers, well, they're going to have to deal with God's unique appointed ruler. And we also know that everyone in the world ought to acknowledge that Jesus, he's the supreme power over all other powers. And we know that this is true no matter who you are or where you live. It's true no matter what you believe. Jesus, he's the Lord over all. Not everyone admits this. But we know this to be true. Jesus is Lord over all power. But you know, don't you, that simply admitting this, that Jesus is the Lord over every power, you know that that's not Christianity. That's not what makes you converted. To admit that Jesus is the ruler over all, it may be nothing more than admitting that there are power structures that we simply need to cope with in this life. We simply believe that our president or our prime minister is, well, our president or our prime minister. Nothing can immediately be done about this. We know that Jesus is in charge, to be sure, uh, but we just need to cope with the leader that we're given at any, any particular moment. That's not Christianity. Simply acknowledging that Jesus is the ruler above all rulers. And so go back to that image then of head and body. You know, I don't think that it's the organic nature of this image or the institutional nature of this image that Paul wants us to see here. It's rather the relational nature of this image that Paul wants us to see here. Christianity is not about acknowledging that there is some great, powerful Jesus who will one day judge everyone. Christianity is acknowledging not just that Jesus rules the universe, but that Jesus loves his body that he draws a people to himself as his very own body. We are not merely members of a population under the rule of Jesus, although this is true. We are his body. He lives his life so that we may live. He thinks and breathes and leads and pursues, not as a bodiless emoji, but as a head, loving and directing his body. That's why I've asked you little theologians to draw for me a picture of a neck. It's the relationship between the head and the body that Paul is after in this passage. 
We know that Jesus, he doesn't merely rule organically or institutionally, but rather God attaches to him a body. God attaches to Jesus a body, and he loves her, and he cares for her for all eternity. You did nothing to get your body, and you only moderately and sporadically take care of that body. No offense, by the way, but I do suspect it's true. But Jesus, he died for his body, and he received it from God. He earned that body, and he loves and cares for that body. This is what Paul wants us to see. While the entire world is under the rule of Jesus, only the church is his own body. Only the church. And Paul's going to go on, and this is where I want to conclude. Paul is going to say that the body, the church, is actually the very fullness of Jesus. Look at verse 23. Paul says that the body of Jesus is the fullness of him who fills all in all. This may be the very most complicated phrase in all of Ephesians. There have been hundreds of pages devoted to this very phrase that Jesus says that his body is the fullness of him who fills all in all. Well, the church body, if Paul is saying nothing else, the church body seems to be necessary to Jesus, critical to him. One commentator says the church body is Christ's complement. She belongs to him, and he, well, he belongs to her. And so from our perspective, if you are a Christian, you actually are incomplete without your head. Doesn't that make such great sense? You're incomplete without your head. Just as he is not an emoji, you are not the headless horseman. You have no life without your head. You need Jesus, and you have Jesus. This is clear as a bell, isn't it? But Paul is actually working the other side of the equation. That's what makes this passage so difficult for us to understand. And part of the difficulty is because it says things about ourselves that we don't normally think, and we might even be afraid to admit. Paul is stating that from the perspective of Jesus, Jesus himself is somehow, mysteriously so, incomplete without us. Doesn't that sound like heresy? It just, it just does. And even, if, even as I say it, I think there's a session meeting, a meeting of the elders Tuesday evening, Wednesday evening, the 21st, whatever that is. I'm in a lot of trouble. But John Calvin says this. He says, this is the highest honor of the church, that until Jesus is united to us, the Son of God is actually reckoning himself in some measure imperfect. I suppose you can't get in too much trouble if you quote John Calvin in a Presbyterian church. But it's a remarkable thing to find in Scripture that the Son of God reckons himself in some measure imperfect without his body. One commentator says Christ refuses to regard himself as complete until he possesses all his parts. And again, just sounds like some, some theological problems right there. This may be the last time I get to preach here. But Calvin again says, not until we are along with him does he possess all of his parts or wish to be regarded as complete. 
While the entire world is under the rule of Jesus, the church is his body and his own fullness is found in her. You see, this is, this is why I said, this is one of those passages where we need to consider uh, how significant we really are. You know, we think that our consolation in this life is believing that Jesus is in power, even when everywhere we look, we see other authorities in power. And we say to ourselves, quite happily, uh, the day will come when they will one day see that he is the ruler, uh, the one who fills all in all. We really believe this, and we should believe this, and we take great comfort in this, and we should take comfort in this. However, this one, who's the ruler of all, he actually finds his fullness in his body. What consolation is it for us to learn that not until we are in his presence does he possess all of his parts? Calvin again. Our consolation isn't that one of those days Napoleon Bonaparte is going to have to stand before God and account for his wickedness in France. Well, you should take comfort in that. But you shouldn't stop there. You know, the funny thing is, is that we're actually, as the church body, nowhere uh, near as significant as we think. We think we're significant simply by boasting before our neighbors and making them feel insignificant. That's pridefulness. The truth of the matter is, we're far more significant than even that. We think of ourselves way too insignificantly, but we are actually the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let me put it this way. Do you know what the favorite institution of Jesus Christ is? His favorite institution. It is not his Costco membership. It's the church. That's the favorite institution of Jesus Christ. The church on earth is his favorite institution. And in fact, Paul says here uh, that the number one task of Jesus is to fill all in all. Again, very difficult to understand the last phrase from Ephesians 1.23. But Jesus not only finds the institution of the church to be his favorite social organization of all, but Jesus Christ actually seeks to fill her all in all, to beautify her until she's beautiful indeed, to sanctify her, to love and care for her. In this present age when we feel ugly and confused and uncertain, Jesus, he loves us and he is beautifying us. And his desire for our beauty is so much grander than your own desire for your beauty. You struggle and hurt because you're simply out of solutions to the problems that you feel physically and emotionally. And I understand that personally. But Jesus never feels that way. And his desire to care for you is greater than your desire to care for yourself. And, and his number of resources that he draws from to care for his body are far larger and grander and more significant than your resources that you're drawing from to solve the problems and the struggles of your life. Perhaps we consider ourselves to be a little too insignificant. We are the body of Jesus, and he is our head. And he loves and he cares for us and finds himself incomplete without her. And he will do all that is necessary to bring her to himself. And when he does that, well, we won't be having this discussion anymore, will we? While the entire world is under the rule of Jesus, the church is his body and his own fullness is found in her. Would you join me in prayer? Father, would you help us to understand who we are 
as the body of Jesus. We rush to find our identity in so many places. And here is our identity, united to Jesus Christ by your power as his body. We thank you in his name. Amen.